off the uh, announcements and stuff, so this is the only place I have them. Um, but we are thankful that you're here this morning, thankful that we get to worship together, and um, we have a few announcements, a few prayer requests before we get started. Um, I'll do the announcements first, and then we'll move into the prayer requests. Don't, don't forget that uh, Glenlock Soccer is starting back this fall, and so if you would like to coach soccer... Um, please let us know because we, we always seem to be on the, on the edge of having enough people to, to have the league in terms of coaches and those sort of things. So if you're interested in coaching, even just helping somebody else coach a team, um, please let us know so that we can get you on that list because that's going to start um, in, after Labor Day in September, so it's quickly approaching. So if you have any interest in volunteering uh, for soccer, please see myself or Neil. Um, also, we are collecting items for... Uh, Morgan Parker Jordan. So, you know, Morgan Parker, she used to go here. Uh, she's about to have a baby in about the next week or so, and um, his, a little boy named Alex. So, uh, we have a basket in the back. If you have any uh, baby items that you'd like to buy and, and donate, those, those are, that basket's going to be back there this, this week and next week. And so, please bring those in, and, and so we can bless her with those items. Um, and just uh, knowing, you know, only having a son a year ago, those things mean so much, and you don't even know what you need until, you, <laughs> until they arrive. So uh, please, you know, anything that you may have or you may like to give, um, please bring those, and then we'll take that to her and present that to her as a gift. So uh, we're thankful for your, uh, your work in their lives and that you would continue to bless them in this, in this opportunity. So um, also... Uh, right as of now, uh, there's a choir interest luncheon supposed to happen next Sunday, August 22nd, after the morning, after the 11 o'clock service. So if you're interested in, in being part of choir, um, you can stay. We're gonna have they're gonna have food and and just a, a time to kind of talk about where the choir is headed in terms of its direction. So if you have any interest in that, please stay. Please make plans to stay next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. Um, and also, deacons meeting and conference will take place next Sunday, deacons at 5 and conference at 6. Um, so, anybody have any more announcements this morning? Um, in terms of prayer requests, obviously, um, many of you may know this, I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but uh, Neil's son Jake has tested positive for covid um, so they are quarantined at home. And also, Neil, uh, Miss Tracy had surgery last Friday, and she's at home recovering from that. So they've kind of got uh, two, 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 two fronts coming at them right now. So um, just pray for them. Uh, so far, as far as I know, only Jake is, uh, is exhibiting, and it's mild symptoms, but still want to pray for that family. Uh, hopefully that it stays away from Bennett and the rest of them. Um, as they as they quarantine together, and I got a text message this morning that the the Art family, John Mark and his family, is quarantined as well. Um, their daughter Addie was exposed at school, I, I assume, and so they're having to stay home as well. So it's just it's just one of those things where it is it is definitely still prevalent in our communities. Uh, pray for our healthcare workers and every, everything that's going on with that. Um, and John Mark told me that his mother um, has a friend who is on a ventilator. Uh, with COVID. I don't have that name on me right now, but obviously there is still a lot of, of, of things going on in that direction. So we just want to be very aware of those things. We want to love each other well um, in and through this time and uh, just continue to lift up those who are sick, those who are working through this. Um, 
Because if, if we're being honest, and this, I hope this is a place that we can be honest, this sits heavy on all of us. Um, this is something that, that obviously is, is, is affecting so many different people in so many different ways. It was, it was difficult for me to drive here this morning just with the weight of, of, of what this feels like for our students and for our, our members and all those kind of things. So we really need to rely on the Lord in this time um, and, and, and get our strength from Him. Any other prayer requests this morning? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Right. If you didn't hear that, Jake Thompson, he's on the prayer list, but he has cancer and they had to take him to the hospital last night. Um, so continue to pray for him. And also, Morgan apparently has been exposed maybe to COVID, and she's about to have a baby, so that's very important that we keep her in our prayers. Anybody else? Amen. So... Little boy who had a brain tumor, they went in and it was benign. So that is a definitely a blessing um, for that. So we're thankful for that. Yes, sir. Ashley and who? Oh, okay, so Ashley Aubrey and Allie are both home sick with COVID as well. So it is the Aubrey family has felt it on many different fronts. Chris Mims. Chris Mims with cancer. He's not doing well, is what uh, Kyle, a friend of Kyle's So, All right, well, as we prepare for, for our time together this morning in worship, I'm going to read um, from Acts chapter 1. And uh, this is uh, Luke speaking. And he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you doing this? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to be a witness for you. Um, we're thankful for the power that we, we receive uh, through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I just pray for those who are sick right now, Lord. Those who we've, we've spoken about this morning, Lord. Uh, the Aubrey families, um, Jake and, and, and John Mark and his family and Addie. And um, those, those that we've heard about um, that are in the hospital struggling with different diseases and, and, and different um, 
ailments, Lord. I just uh, I know that that all of this seems as if it's a a a battle that will that'll never end, Lord. But we know that those of us who have you uh, in our lives, or those of of us who who have salvation and you have eternity. Um, to look forward to. We have, we have the, uh, the, the truth of, of your love lasting forever in our lives. And so I pray that we would be good neighbors, Lord, that we would be good and, and, and helpful, loving uh, believers, Lord, that we would go out and, uh, and, and serve you in all that we do. And I pray that you would just surround us this morning with your, with your grace and your mercy, Lord, and just show us from your text and from, from worship, Lord, what it, what it is, Lord, to go out and be a disciple of yours. And so I pray that you would just fill us up with your spirit and allow us just to follow you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all more the chosen one bring many sons to glory behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking I know with all my heart His word. 
Continue worshiping with I am crucified in Christ. I am crucified in Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. I am crucified in Christ, therefore I love. Christ now lives in me. Crucified in Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. I am crucified in Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this time of worship. I thank you the most that, that you that you love me so much that, that you died for me and paid for my sins in full. I'm grateful that I'm your child. I'm just so grateful that you loved me first, God. I pray that uh, you'd be with Bryson this morning. I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would be here. I pray that uh, you open our hearts and minds to, to whatever it is that's, that's on his heart this morning. And I'm so grateful to worship, worship you, and I love you. These things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Um, so if you don't know me, my name is Sarah Beth Bledsoe. And I am up here today to tell you about my summer mission trip. Um, I was given the opportunity to spend my summer in Savannah, Georgia at a Christian maternity home called The Living Vine. And it was incredible. Um, super, super awesome experience. Um, and I first wanted to just thank y'all for praying for me, um, encouraging me, and for all of the letters that y'all wrote to me. That was awesome. They came at the right moments, every time I was a little bit discouraged or just feeling a little bit homesick, it was awesome to be able to go back and have something from home, something to remind me of where I came from and my foundations. Um, and so you can change the slide. Um, so my trip was at a Christian maternity home and it started at the end of May and I didn't come home until the end of July. Um, so this was a trip through the organization called Send Me Now, and it is a program um, from the Georgia Baptist Association. And basically they take college students and they place you wherever they feel like God is placing you, wherever your gifts are going to be best used. And so it was a long process to get to where I was able to say, okay, Put me wherever you think I should go because I'm not really one of those people. Um, but it was it was humbling to be able to get to the point where I could say that. 
Um, and so they placed me in Savannah. Um, I met my partner down there on the left. Um, that's my partner, Tezza. So neither of us had ever been to this place. We didn't know what we were going into. We didn't know each other. We met down there um, other than just texting before we got there, like, nice to meet you, you know? Um, and so we, we lived together the whole summer, and God knew that I could not be there by myself. He knew that we needed each other to rely on and to encourage each other. Um, and that became a super, super sweet friendship that I'm very thankful for. Um, it was really cool to see how God worked um, in both of us. Uh, we pretty much were polar opposites of each other. And we had very different gifts when it came to ministry. And so basically any gap that I left, she could pick up. Um, and any gap she left, I could pick up. And so we were able to really get to know the women we were working with because of that. Um, the picture on the right is our third roommate that came to live with us like two weeks before we left. Um, and her name was Brittany and she was really cool. Um, she was, it was crazy because she was there for school. She was there as an intern. Um, but she had the same heart that we did. So God really used all three of us to encourage each other and just created an awesome friendship um, there. Um, you can change the slide now. So this is the staff um, that we worked with all summer long on the left. Um, they were some really cool people, um, and it was cool to see God work through us. That was one of the ways that I saw him work. That was kind of unexpected. We were not only there to work with the women who were living there, but we were also there to encourage the staff that was already there because this is like kind of a hard job to do all the time um, because it's really heavy and you're getting to know women who have really hard backgrounds and are going through some really tough things. Um, and so these staff members were really tired and just exhausted. Um, so it was really cool to be able to encourage them and kind of liven things up a little bit um, and bring a little bit of youth <laughs> around to the home. Um, this. Uh, flyer on the other side is one of the projects that they gave me to work on. So when I went, um, they found out I was a little bit creative, and so they gave me all these projects to do, um, which was a lot of fun. So I worked in the office, and I did some of the stuff that um, just never got done because they were really busy doing what they needed to do, their everyday jobs. Um, and so pretty much we did everything that got put on the back burner, like the closets that never wanted to be cleaned out. We cleaned those closets out. Um, and so we were able to help the staff in that way. Um, when we were not in the office, we were working the night shift and we would stay working with the house managers and we basically were moms. We just cleaned and cooked and cleaned and cooked. <laughs> That's a lot of what we did. Um, and we just built relationships with the mom. Um, you can change it. So these are the moms that we were able to get to know the best while we were there. They were there the most consistently while we were there. Um, the baby was the best part of the trip, probably. He was adorable. Um, they got so excited when they found out that I like to take pictures, and I was like, yeah, I can do a photo shoot for you. Um, and they were just, they got all dolled up. They got dressed up. The baby got a new outfit. It was so fun and so exciting for them to feel just pretty and um, loved, you know. It was fun to be able to show them that they are very special to us. You can change it now. 
So these are some of the things we did. Um, while we were there the first night, or not the first night, but like our first week or two in our house that was provided outside of the vine um, by one of the churches. It was a missionary home that we lived in. Um, our shower started black stuff, so it was not good. And so Tezza, my roommate, kind of became a plumber for the summer, and that was kind of the joke. <laughs> and I told the vine that, and so then they put her to work, and I felt really bad. But I would go with her to do all this stuff. And so that's her, like, doing her plumbing things. Um, the mural in the background in the middle picture was one of the newest things they had done. They're starting a daycare for the moms who live there. And so the person who went in and painted, there was, you know, stuff on the floor or whatever. And so we went in and we scraped all of that. So we did a lot of different projects. The cupcakes, we did a lot of baking. Um, the women there really loved sweets and just food in general. And so we were actually able to show them a few recipes and like cook with them. And it was, it was a lot of fun. They taught us a lot too, because I mean, they just, they just kind of knew how to cook. So it was good. Um, you can change the slide. Um, on Saturdays, that was our cleaning day and just like outing day to encourage them and let them get out because during the week they work a program. So during the week they're going to class all day, every day, and then we have family meals. Um, but on Saturdays we clean the whole house um, and then we take them to do something, either to Walmart or just run errands or to fun things. Um, we took them bowling one day. We took them to one of the botanical gardens down there in Savannah. Um, and then we painted nails one night, and that was so fun. And I know for one particular mom, she was over the moon excited because she had not been able to paint her nails in just years. Um, and so it was really, really awesome to just go in and just be like, yeah, I can do that for you. Like, let's do that. And it just make a huge difference in their day, and it was so exciting. Um, you can change it. So these are some of the projects I was talking about. So the project on the left is one of the closets that had to be gone through. Um, that is actually the before picture, and I don't have an after picture because we were really tired. <laughs> um, but that picture is actually the one I sent Tezza to prepare her what we were working on that day. Um, and we just basically went through it and clean, cleaned everything. The pictures on the right are of our baby boutique. And so basically we just had a bunch of donations from churches and stuff set up to where the moms could come in and shop for their children. Um, and so by working their program during the week, they they earned vine bucks, which is like money um, for them. And so they could use that money to then buy things for the baby. And so that also helped us teach them how to manage money and just skills that they just didn't have and didn't know how to manage. Um, you can change it. So one of the unexpected blessings of this trip was the fact that we were able to get involved in one of the churches there. So our house, the missionary house, was provided by one of the churches that financially funds the vine. Um, there's many churches that help the vine, but this was one of them. Um, they, basically our house was here and then the church was here and our driveways were connected um, and just a road went through it. So we would walk over to church every Sunday. And so 
it was a really cool blessing for God to basically just send us this whole community down there. Um, and that was not expected. Up until about a week before I left, I thought I was living at the Vine with the mothers and like being like an in-house person. And then they emailed us and was like, yeah, you're going to be living at this address. This is not our address. And I'm like, oh, cool. So we were very um, worried at first, you know, just like, oh, we don't know what we're going to, um, but it turned out to be amazing. It turned out to be one of the best things because me and Tezza, when we weren't working together, a lot of the times we were working opposite shifts, so it was just one of us at the house. And I mean, it's cool to be able to be there, but when you're at your house by yourself in a strange place and you don't know anybody, um, it gets a little sad. So it was cool because after about a week or so, our house was never empty. There was always someone knocking on the door. Um, and so these were some of the friends that we made. Our last night, or our last Bible study that we were there to be with them, um, we all went to Leopold's. And Leopold's is super famous, and I don't really know why. Um, it's not because the ice cream is not incredible, like, incredible, um, but the line was like two hours long. So we all waited in the two hour line. Um, that's how much we loved each other. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, you can change it. So because of the church and how they kind of adopted us in and took us in, we were able to get involved and we were able to work at one of their VBSs. It was a sport camp. And so we were able to work with kids and just get super involved with that church also. And like we went down there to work at the Vine, you know, and in our free time, we didn't really expect to be able to also serve in another way. So that was a really cool thing. You can change it. So this is just everybody at the end. This was our last um, last day there all together. Um, they ordered pizza and the moms actually made this huge dessert for us. They loved us, we loved them. Um, it was a really, really great experience, and I'm very excited that I was able to share this with you guys, and I hope that I could, that I've encouraged you, if you feel convicted at all, to work in missions or just be obedient to the Lord, do it, because there is no better peace than when you are being obedient to the Lord, and I am so thankful that I have y'all to be my support system and encourage me as I've left, and I hope to do this again sometime, um, but thank you. All right. Thank you, Sarah Beth, for sharing uh, with us. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Luke uh, chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to be in verse 1. And it's interesting, um, I don't know if, if Neil planned it this way or if God planned it this way or if God planned it this way through Neil, um, but she basically just preached my sermon um, because our, our, our sermon this morning is going to be under the title of Life on Mission, Life on Mission. And so within this, what we're going to see here in um, Luke 10 is a continuation of Jesus teaching his disciples what it means to be his disciple. Last week we had this, this idea that, 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 you know, we want to be your disciples no matter what. And so Jesus had to respond in a way in which he said, 
Well, if you want to be my disciple, what you must know is that foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so he teaches them that, that the, 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 the difficulty, but also the blessing that comes from being a disciple of Jesus. He's, and it says, he said to another man in uh, chapter 9, verse 59, it says, They said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to them, let the, bed der- let the dead bury their own dead, but go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so he's teaching them what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so whenever we get to, to, to Luke 10, we have this idea already of, of Jesus kind of molding their ideas, their thinking, their, their hearts for ministry, for mission. And so now we get into chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. And what we see is Jesus taking this group of people and sending them out on mission and saying, this is what I need for you to do. And so as we know, Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem. He's, he's beginning the, 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 the walk, the, 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 the leading to the cross. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. And so in, in verse 10, I mean chapter 10, verse 1 through 16, he says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now some of your Bibles may say 70. Some may say 72. There's some, there's some um, back and forth in the translations on whether the Greek says 70 or 72. Um, and there's some reasons for that. One thing being that when Jesus sent out the 12, many people believe that Jesus, in using his 12 disciples, was reestablishing the 12 tribes of Israel and kind of showing that he was, he was the culmination of the Israelite story. And so if it was 70... There's a chance that, that he's, he's using that number to, to show that not only is it the 12 tribes of Israel, but the 70 elders that we, that we hear about of Israel in Genesis, and so, or in Exodus. So that's one of the things that, that may be um, being talked about here or used here. Some say it talks about the entirety of the nations. If you go to Genesis chapter 10, there's this section called the Table of Nations. And it's interesting because in the Table of Nations, in the Hebrew, there's 70 nations and in the Greek, they're 72. And so it may be that Jesus is showing that, yes, I, my, my ministry is to the, is the, the Israelite people, but it's also to the entirety of the nations, which would go along with the way that Luke writes his gospel, because Luke writes his gospel to the world, right? He, he writes his gospel to the Gentiles. And so anyway, that's not the point of this morning, but the point of the morning is, is that God works through Jesus to, to, to do what he wants to do. And so whether it says 70 or 72, God's using these people, and Jesus is using these people for his mission. So it says he sends them two by two, and in verse two it says he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your your peace will fall on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages, and do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. 
I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity just to, to dive in here. I thank you for what we've already heard this morning, the encouragement that mission is, Lord, and that we would see the way that you're calling us to live a life of mission um, here on this earth, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as I began to study this section, and Neil told me uh, a couple of weeks ago, like, I need you to preach this week, and this is where we're going to be. Um, honestly, I began to read this and thought, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? And, and I'm just being honest with you, as I begin to read Scripture, in the same way that you be, begin to read Scripture, there's a lot of times where we get into a passage of Scripture, and we think, okay, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't get it. What is it, Lord, that you want for us to understand from, from this text? Because it seems very choppy, right? It seems like one thing after another after another. How do we, how do we group this into something that I can digest and that you can use for your glory, but one thing that we always need to remember in this is that the most important way to approach the text is with a good posture. We never want to enter into a text thinking, man, I can't wait to, to, to read this and, and establish myself with it. No, we need to go humbly into the text and say, Lord, what is it that you want us to teach? To te what do you want us to, to learn from this? How can you use this to transform me ultimately so that I can glorify you? And so as I was reading this this week, the Lord opened my eyes to some characteristics and some things that we're going to see, and I'm very thankful to him. Because if it was me up here teaching you this, we wouldn't get anything out of this. But God is faithful to, to, to speak through his spirit, through his word, and that's what I'm thankful for this morning. So let's dive in together, starting with verses 1 through 3. And so what we're going to look at first is the characteristics of the mission. Okay, the characteristics of the mission. Jesus is sending them out two by two, going to the places that he plans to, to go on his way back to Jerusalem. And it's interesting, throughout, throughout Jesus' ministry, and even in what we read this morning in our call to worship, Jesus has always called his people to go. Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the twelve. Right, we remember that. It's very closely related to this. Jesus sends out the twelve. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8, you will receive power, then you will go. Right? So there's this, this call to believers to not just be stagnant, but to go out in their faith and to live life on mission. And so when we look at the characteristics of the mission, I have several sub-points within each point, and I'm going to try to be brief, I promise. But there's several things I think we need to, to recognize in each of these. And the first characteristic of the mission is that it's necessary. The mission of the believer to go out and, and to preach the gospel and to teach the gospel and to love people is a necessary mission. And so how do we get there in this text? Well, we get there in verse 2 when he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Jesus himself saw the necessity of the mission. When I was growing up in Indiana, I lived there until sixth grade, and I had a, a friend of mine who was a, a, his dad was a cantaloupe farmer. I don't know anything about farming, okay? I didn't grow up farming. My dad had a little garden, but I was never really back there, and I was so young, I didn't even understand what he was doing um, back there. I was just playing with a tractor or something, you know, a little baby one, so. But I would, one day my friend, his name was Billy, he said, got to go pick cantaloupes. And I, several times I went and actually picked cantaloupes with them um, after this. But I said, well, how do you know you got to pick cantaloupes? Like, how do you know the cantaloupes are ready to pick? And Billy, in all of his wisdom as a fourth grader, says, well, look, you can see the cantaloupes. It's that easy, Bryson. How do I know it's time to pick cantaloupes? Well, look out in the field. Do you see cantaloupes? Then, yeah, it's time to pick the cantaloupes, right? And that's, that's fourth grade Billy wisdom. But that is, what, that is what Jesus is saying here. He's like, how do you... Why do I have to be sent out? What's the, what's the mission? It, why is the mission necessary? And Jesus says, do you see the people? Do you see the people? How do we know that the mission that God has called us to, to go out and prepare the way for him to infiltrate the hearts of people, how do we know that that mission is necessary? Well, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. Look around. The mission is necessary. I think many times I miss, and, and, and I'm not going to place this on you, I'm going to say I miss this because I see the world through Bryson's eyes instead of through Jesus' eyes. When I look out in the world, oftentimes I, I, I see uh, hurt, and I see confusion, and I see um, difficulty, and I see all of these things, and my immediate reaction is I wish people would just get things right. I wish that they would just figure it out. Why can't they think like me? Why can't they act like me? Why can't they be like me? But Jesus, in Matthew 9, 36 and 37, said, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so when we look out into the world, do we see the world through the eyes of the world or do we see the world through the eyes of Jesus? Because if, if we see the world the way Jesus sees the world, he says, look at the people. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We see the people that are lost within our world, not as a, not as a people that we, that we degrade and, 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 and belittle, but as a people in desperate need of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful, he says, look at the people. Have compassion on them. Know that your mission is necessary. There's a direct link between seeing the majesty of Jesus and seeing the necessity of his mission. If I know the goodness of God, then I know the necessity of his mission. Because there are people who are just like me, who are desperately in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. When Jesus reveals his glory to us, we can't help but want to go out and share in that mission. So the first characteristic of the mission is it's necessary because the harvest is plentiful. Secondly, another characteristic of the mission is that it's active. 
the mission is active. Jesus tells those he is sending to pray for more workers. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is an active part of the church as we are to be people who pray that God would use people to bring about his ultimate mission, which is reconciling people to himself. And so we look at this and we say, this is not a stagnant mission, but it is an active mission. He's not asking them to pray. He is commanding them to pray. Let us not ever think that our Christian walk is something that we can sit on our hands and actually live out. Jesus says, if you want to be an, a, 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 a disciple of me, then it includes action. It includes work. It includes actively being a person of prayer. But not only does it include praying for God to send out those into the mission field, it also includes being willing to be the one to go into the mission field. Because right after that, he says, go. Mine has an exclamation point. I hope yours does too. Go. He says, I, I want you to pray that God would send out workers into the mission field, that he, he would give more workers. And then he says also, you, hey, you, go. Oftentimes, the church does a pretty good job at the first one. We do a great job of praying that God would provide workers for the mission. Man, I, when, when, when Sarah Beth talked to me about going to Savannah this summer, I prayed that God would use her in a mighty way, but please don't send me to Savannah. When Brooke wanted to go to Zimbabwe on our mission trip, I said, man, I, I, God, you can send people to Zimbabwe, but don't send Brooke, because that means i got to go. Right? Too many times... We are, we are okay with, with being the person who, who prays that God would use other people to go out and do mission, but we miss the fact that oftentimes we're going to be the answer to that own prayer. Are we willing and able in our faith to, to, to pray earnestly that God would send people to do his mission knowing that he may just send us? Because that's what Jesus says here. He says, pray and go. Pray and go. Do we pray for our missionaries? Yes. Do we, do we, do we pray for those who go on summer missions? Yes. Do we, do, we, do we give to those who are going on mission? Yes. But let us not miss the fact that we may be the answer to that prayer. We must be prepared and expectant that if we pray truthfully that God would send out workers, that he end up sending us. He may be sending you overseas, he may be sending you to Savannah, or he may be just sending you to the next floor up at your office building, but he's going to be sending his disciples on mission somewhere. We're to live a life of mission. So the second characteristic is that mission is active. And the third characteristic of the mission is that it is dependent. It is dependent. Jesus shows us this in verse 3 as he says, Go, and many versions say, Behold, after that. Go, behold, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, I don't know much about wildlife. I got a dog. 
She chases squirrels. Okay, But, to be honest with you, I don't know that I like the idea of being a lamb among wolves. Like, eat, like can, I even, can I at least be a full-grown sheep? Like, at least I, maybe I stand a chance if I got a little cushion or something. No, he says, you're a lamb among wolves. Now, what does that mean in the life of these believers in, in, in our lives? When I first read that, it doesn't give me a very good feeling about going out into mission. But what, one thing that I think that Jesus is trying to show us here is that throughout history, God has used those who are more like lambs to bring about his kingdom than those who are like wolves. What does that mean? Well, a wolf is ferocious, and a wolf is aggressive, and a wolf is destructive. And too often the church has taken the approach that they should be wolves among wolves. Too often the church is like, I gotta, if, I, if I want to make an impact for God, then I must become a wolf among wolves. And Jesus doesn't say that. He says, if you really want to stand out in a world of wolves, then be a lamb. Now, what does that mean? Well, one thing that that means is we meet aggression with patience. You want to really turn somebody upside down when they aggressively attack you, be patient with them. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was led, he, Jesus, was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You want to talk about being a lamb among wolves? The lamb of God gives us the perfect example of what that means. Patience in the face of aggression. What else does it mean to be a lamb among wolves, do we really want to present the gospel the way it was presented to us? Then we must meet ferociousness with gentleness. Be gentle like Jesus was gentle. Meet destruction with goodness. Jesus says those who I have used recognized that it wasn't about their power. It was about mine in them. You think about Moses when, when God came in the burning bush and he said, Moses, I'm going to use you. And what was Moses' heart? How could you use me? I'm just out here in the desert. I'm just, I'm just watching some sheep. How could you? I can't even talk right, God. How, how can you use me? And, said, and God said, didn't I make your tongue? I can use you. David was a 12-year-old boy who came out and they're like, here, put on all this armor Put on all these things, and, and David says, I don't need this stuff. I've got, I've got God. He was a lamb among wolves. Gideon, God used Gideon and judges, and, he said, and God said, you have too many people in your army. We need, to, we need to shed a few people because only through less can I be made more. John said, I need to become less, and he needs to become more. And so in all of this, what we see is that those who are used by Jesus Christ to bring about his message recognize that it's not about their power and their might and their ability. It's about their dependence. You want to be used for the glory of Jesus Christ? Become a lamb and recognize your dependency on God because there's one thing that the lamb has, that the, that the wolf doesn't. That's the shepherd. You want to be like a lamb? you got to depend on the shepherd. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do we want to make a, a, a difference in the world for Jesus Christ? Then we need to depend on Jesus Christ.
So instead of trying to be a lamb that becomes a wolf, we must recognize our need to sometimes be, to, to be a wolf that becomes a lamb. And there's no greater example of that to me than Paul. Paul, when he was persecuting the church, was a wolf. It says in Acts 8 that he went around pulling people out of their homes and dragging them to prison. It says that when they were stoning Stephen, they were laying down their coats at his feet. That is a wolf. And Jesus said, in order for me to use Paul, I've got to make him into a lamb. And in Philippians 3, I think we see that heart of Paul because Paul says, all those things I once was, all the power, all the authority, all the, all the, all the money, all the prestige, all that stuff, I consider it garbage in the face of knowing Christ. Paul had to recognize that he, he must be dependent in order to fulfill his mission. And so the heart of those who are used by God, it's a mission of dependency. So those are the three characteristics that we see here in the first three verses, is that the mission is necessary, it's active, but it's also very, very dependent. Secondly, we're going to see some instructions for the mission. Some instructions for the mission. So he goes on in verse 4, he says, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. What? Like that's, that's, that was the response I had when this first started. I, I, what does this mean? Like, What does it mean for us? What does it mean for them? I think the first instruction that Jesus gives is to prioritize Jesus and prioritize the mission. One instruction is to prioritize the mission. He instructs them not to bring extra sandals, a money purse, or a bag. And I don't know about you all, but traveling, it is easy to weigh yourself down with stuff. I remember when we went to Zimbabwe, I have so many examples from Zimbabwe. If you ever, want to, if you ever become a preacher and you want really good examples, go to a mission trip to Zimbabwe. Because that's like every example that I have is from that. So, about two hours before our flight's supposed to take off, when we go to Zimbabwe, we're out in the parking lot. Two hours before an international flight, we're out in the parking lot, and we're like zipping bags and unzipping bags and, and moving stuff around. Somebody brought a, this hanging thing where it tells you how much the thing weighs, right? The bag weighs, and we're like, you got too much stuff. Well, I didn't pack even. And so we're moving stuff around because we're trying to figure out how are we going to get all of this stuff on the plane without having to pay any extra money because, you know, so-and-so over here to our left, their bag weighs 97 pounds, like, how on earth are we going to get all this stuff over there to Zimbabwe? And in traveling, you know, you finally think you got all the stuff in the car, and then your wife brings out one more bag, and you're like, well, now we've got to start over. How am I going to fit all of this stuff in the trunk of the car? I don't, I don't know how we're going to do it. Well, when Jesus says travel lightly, what he means is don't let the stuff that you have get in the way of the mission that you're on. When I look down at this, I think about all that time we spent in that, in that parking lot trying to get those bags all to 50 pounds. And I think, man, our hearts were not really in the mission at that point, were they? In a time that we could have been spiritually preparing ourselves to, to go, in a time that we could, have been, we, we could have been in prayer and seeking guidance for the trip, in times that we could have been preparing our hearts for the mission that he had us on, we were weighing bags. Trying to think, how can I get all the stuff I need with me so I can go on the mission? 
Well, Jesus knew the urgency of his mission, and so he instructed his people to leave, leave behind what isn't necessary and to go as quickly as possible. And I think too often I am not willing to let go of the things that aren't necessary in order to fully go head on into the mission. Too often we have too much baggage that we're trying to carry with us on the mission. Just let me get financially in this place before I go on mission. Jesus says, don't even take a money bag. Just let me make sure I got every single little thing I'm going to need before I go on mission. And Jesus said, don't even bring extra sandals. Why is this? Because the mission is more important than the stuff. The mission is more important than your place in your life at this particular moment. Jesus said, you can't get to a place of this world that you're prepared enough to go on mission because mission is mission for life. You may never be in the right place to go on mission, but I have you in the place that I want you to be. So don't worry about all the stuff. Just go on mission. It is so very easy for us to allow our comfort and our preferences to distract us from the task at hand. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler when he said, I want to follow you? He says, well, sell everything you own and follow me. But he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. There's a lot of people who come in the, in the doors of the church and Jesus says, give up everything you have and follow me. And they said, man, I got a lot of stuff. Well, Jesus says those things are not important in the grand scheme of things. What's important is the mission. He also says, don't talk to anybody on the way. Woo. Is Jesus telling his disciples to be like mean and, and hard? No. He's again stressing the priority of the mission because in this time, a greeting along the road could have lasted three or four hours. They didn't just say, hey, what's up, and keep going. They had deep-seated conversations. You knew, and we all know those people. Trust me, we all know a person when if they say, hey, how are you, and you answer, you're going to be there for a while. Right? We, we all have those people in our lives that we know, if I get in this conversation with them, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on for a while. Well, that was every conversation that took place here during this time. It was normal for these greetings to be, well, how are you? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Well, did you hear about this? Did you see the news? Did you hear about that? And so these conversations would go on forever. And Jesus says, you don't got time for that because the mission is too urgent for you to be caught up in the, in the affairs of the world. Man, we let the things of the world distract us from being on mission. We let conversations with people that are about things that aren't really necessary to our grand scheme of eternity get in the way of going on mission. I think about the number of times I let my cell phone scrolling up and down through Facebook get in the way of me being on mission. He says those things, there's a place in time to talk to other people, but there's a place in time to first be mission forward and, and, and the urgency of the mission. Jesus knew the tendency of the men would have been to allow the news and the gossip and, the, and, and all the other things that encompass, encompass that dominate their thinking and interfere with their mission. We must prioritize the spread of the gospel over our opinion of the latest news. Is me responding to this person on this post really going to do anything good for the kingdom? 
We've got to think about those things. Because Jesus said to them, don't even greet anyone on the road. That's how urgent the mission is. In 2 Kings 4, there was a woman who, who had a, a son who was ill. And she sent for Elisha. She said, I really need Elisha to come to heal my son. And so Elisha turned to his assistant and he said, Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Focused on the mission. There was a boy dying, and he said, go, tuck your cloak and run, and don't talk to anybody else on the way. Why? Because he knew the urgency of the mission. There are people dying in this world without knowing Jesus Christ. Are we urgent enough about the mission? Are we letting these little side things in our life distract us from what's most important? Another instruction that he gives is preach Jesus. I know that's an, it seems like an easy one, but preach Jesus. In verse 5, he says, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. It's important to know at this time that these people would not have been welcomed in the synagogues, the place that the preaching and the teaching usually would have taken place. So they would have gone from house to house, preaching in house churches throughout their way. And so when they entered a home, they were to say, peace to this home. Now, that was a normal greeting, right? When we do when we knew first, uh, one night in Bethlehem, what do we say? Shalom, which would have mean peace be with you. And so this would have been a normal greeting. But, but under, the, under the authority of Jesus Christ, this brings about a deeper level because it's not just peace to this home, but it's offering Jesus as peace. When they say peace to this house, it says that not only are they saying it with their words, but if there's someone there who's a son of peace, who accepts this peace, that it would, it would fall on them. They were to go into homes and, not, and they were not to compliment their way into it. Oh, you have such a nice, you know, this is so great. I, I, I'm Bryson, I would like, you know. No, they say you go in and you say, I'm here for Jesus. And they'll either respond with acceptance or rejection. I think too often we try to use the world's tactics to bring about our agenda for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I'm enough. The peace that I give is enough. The authority that I bring is enough. Don't ever let yourself be distracted in your relationships and within the church. I'm not up here to tell you about how great I am or to, or to try to talk you in. No, I'm here to tell you who Jesus is and allow his spirit to do the work. And so we need to make sure our focus is on preaching Jesus not Glenlock Baptist Church, not Bryson, not Neil. We are to preach Jesus and Jesus alone. So when he says, when you, when you go into the house, say peace to this house. Let them know that I offer peace. I offer peace from repentance. I offer peace in covenant. I offer peace eternally. So when you go into these houses, say peace to this house. Someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Once again, in the towns, in verse 8, he says, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's the message. You guys have accepted us. This is what we're preaching. The kingdom of God has come near to you. He also says, if there's people who, do not, who reject you, towns that reject you, he says, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. 
saying, listen, there's going to be places that reject you. And what you're to do is you're to, to go out into the streets. You're to wipe the dirt from your feet, signifying that you've done all that you can do, but you've rejected us, so we're moving on. But once again, what are they called to do? They're called to tell them, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. The response of people doesn't change the message that we have. The way people respond to me does not change the fact that I'm still going to tell them about Jesus Christ. Now, there may be a time to move on, as Jesus says, but that doesn't mean that I I change the the, the truth of the matter is that we need Jesus. The, The kingdom of God has come near. Whether you accept or reject, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus has come near. And so we must, pre- we must preach Jesus. And then lastly, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. That's another instruction for the mission. Be thankful. He says in verse 7, he says, Stay there. So if, if, if somebody accepts you, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. But do not move around from house to house. A, a translation that I read said, Don't be going around from, from place to place looking for the best cook. Eat what they give you. Understand that you are to be thankful for God's provision. You are to be thankful for what he's blessed you with. Understand that you deserve what they're providing. A worker is worth his wages. But don't use ministry as a way to get better stuff. Don't compare your sandwich to their steak. And he says this out of a heart of knowing the Pharisees used the dinner table as a way to elevate themselves. We've we've learned about this throughout Jesus' time in ministry. If you've read the Gospels, you know that he says, you can't just sit there. Don't take the best seat at the table. That's what the Pharisees do. Don't expect the best food. That's what the Pharisees do. Eat what's given to you. Be thankful for what I've provided for you. And be content in knowing that this isn't about your tummy. This isn't about the, 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 the luxury of what you have. This is about the work that I'm doing through you. And so the mission is not about our desires, but it's based upon God's instruction. So he says, if you find a place that, that, that welcomes you, stay there, eat what they have, and don't look for somewhere better because I have you right where I want you. The mission is not about our desires and our, our worldly needs. The mission is about Jesus. And so be thankful for what he's provided for you. And lastly, and I'll, I'll go fast on this one, The weight of the mission. The weight of the mission. So we get down here to verse 12. He says, for those who reject you, it says it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for the town that rejects you. That's that's pretty heavy. There's a weight to that. Why is that? Because we we know the story of Sodom. We know their rejection. We know their destruction. He says, for those who reject the message of Jesus Christ, it's going to be... Worse for you than for Sodom. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth. So we know that Bethsaida and and Chorazin were, were places in which Jesus had performed miracles. They were Jewish towns where miracles had taken place. Bethsaida, if you read in chapter um, 9, at the feeding of the 5,000, Luke says that that happened right at or right outside of Bethsaida. 
So this miracle of feeding the 5,000 took place there. And so what do we see in that? Well, we see that they went out and they asked, so who is this Jesus guy? And the people said, oh, we don't know. He's probably just some kind of prophet or something. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's John the Baptist. We don't know. Well, the truth is that they were missing the authority and, and, and how wonderful Jesus is in that. And so he says, woe to you. It'll be, it'll be better for Tyre and Sidon at judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, where Jesus did so much ministry, he says, you will be lifted up to the heavens? No, you're missing the point. You are on your way to hell. Because you have rejected the call for repentance. And so the last of, of, of these two, the weight of the mission, there's two things. One is rejection is devastating. As, as givers of the word and as hearers of the word, let us not miss that rejection of the word of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation is devastating. There is a heaven and there is a hell. That's truth. And rejection is devastating for both the givers of the word and the hearers of it. Not only as carriers of the message, but hearers of the message, we must understand the weight of this because it is a blessing to be able to give the word of Jesus, to be able to be a disciple of his, but there is an eternal weight to it. Why do we have an altar call and an invitation at the end of all of our services? Because we want to give people every opportunity to respond to the stirring of the word of God in their lives. Don't ignore when Jesus is trying to change something within you. Don't ignore the stirring that he gives you in your heart because rejection of the word of God, rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit is devastating in the life of people. And that's what he's saying. Listen, Karazin and, and, and Bethsaida, you're missing it. It's devastating that you reject your need for the Messiah. It's devastating. And secondly, the last thing we need to remember is that when we're on mission, we're Jesus' representatives. We're Jesus' representatives. Verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. You are a representative of Jesus Christ if you are his disciple. I want you to notice that these, these 70 or 72 people, they don't get their name in the Bible, do they? I mean, think about that for a second. Those 12, their names are over. Like, if you stop talking about John for a second, you could throw my name in there. It's B-R-Y-S-O-N, not B-R-Y-C, no, right? They, they, their names aren't in there. But where does their authority and where does their comfort come from in knowing that they're Jesus' representative? Now, there's a weight to that. Why is that? Because if I'm representing Jesus, then there's no place for half-heartedness. There's no place for lukewarmness. There's no, there's no place for that because I know that there's, there's a weight to my mission. There's no place for sluggishness. There's no place for conformity. There's no place for, for comfort. Because I know that God has given me a mission to be a representative for Jesus Christ. There's a weight to that. So there's a weight to the mission. So in this, I hope that we see that we are called as his disciples to live life on mission. He's given us the characteristics of it. He's given us the instruction. He's shown us the weight. And now what are we to do? Leave here and go and do it. 
Every message that we preach should, should, should transform us to go out and live at least a little bit differently than before we came in here. If not, we're not doing what we're called to do. We trust that the Spirit will show us this week how to live life on mission. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time that we get to worship you. And um, Lord, as we read this and we see this, Lord, I pray that it was stirring us the the call to, to live our lives on mission, Lord. I thank you for the, the work that we see you do, the love that you show us. <clears throat> Lord, give us the, the heart to, to, to follow you wherever you would lead us, Lord. Wherever you would take us, wherever you're going to send us, Lord, allow us to be obedient in that. We love you so much for all that you do for us. In your name we pray, amen. You come as we sing. Sunday school that should be